This episode of That Dan Band Show is brought to you by the Captain U Recruiting Platform, powered by Stack Sports. Captain U is breaking into the band space to offer support to high school students who are looking to perform in band at the collegiate level. With over 10 years in the recruiting industry and over 3 million student profiles created over the years, Captain U has long been a leader in athlete advocacy and support. Now, it's time to provide that same support to band performers. Captain U creates a direct line of communication between musicians and college band directors. With the LinkedIn style profile, performers can put their best foot forward with searchable criteria like their position, academic info and test scores, audition videos, director recommendations, and potential majors. Performers can directly message college directors to learn about scholarship opportunities, a university's academic strengths, and ultimately place themselves at the right institution. If you are a high school band student looking to perform at the next level, go to CaptainU.com and create a free profile today. It takes less than five minutes and will save you time and money. And for a limited time, we are offering performers 50% off an upgraded profile by using the promo code TDBS21. That's right, 50% off an upgraded profile on CaptainU.com by using the code TDBS21 at checkout. Sign up on Captain U, gain exposure, and get recruited. Powered by Stack Sports. Hey, everybody, what's up? Welcome back to That Dan Band Show. You know, it feels like it's been a while. We've been recording about every two weeks, but time between them just it lingers. I'm going to tell you what, uh, we're recording today. It's March 3rd. Uh, just started uh, having our competitive season for WGI. For indoor to give people context, the competitive season runs kind of from the end of February through mid-April. This is just kind of the hot zone for WGI percussion and guard. Um, so you're going to see these a lot of videos starting to roll out on YouTube. You know, I've been checking out all the the independent world groups coming out. Obviously, I work with George Mason and another independent world, so I'm always checking out what other people are doing. So um, I'm getting a taste, getting a flavor for what the year is going to look like. And it's just, it's that time of year. And we haven't been here for uh, about two years since the 2020 season got canceled because of COVID. So feels awesome to be back here and uh, have a very special guest today. A guest, um, as with some of our others, both similar and different from my own background, um, we actually first crossed cross paths. I don't know if he knows this, but I watched him perform in San Antonio, Texas at a CrossFit camp. So I don't know if he's aware of that, but I, <laughs> I'm throwing that out there <laughs> in the intro. Um, and it was super cool. He performed um, on a vibraphone. And, and I just remember a lot of innovative ideas, not only in the technical playing, um, but with some of the technology that he integrated into his performance. And it was just super cool. It's something I remember even to this day um, so far down the road. So this is a person that you probably have seen as well on Instagram because he's got a lot of followers and just understands the game um, of social media and and has a very strong hold on that. So um, everyone just help me welcoming Drew Tucker, aka it's not a xylophone. Drew, what's up? How we doing? Hey man, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Uh, tell me where you are uh, meeting us from virtually, and uh, just tell us a little bit about who you are, kind of you know your background with some of the the marching art stuff, and then what are you doing these days? Sure. Um, I'm currently in Kennesaw, Georgia. I spent the the last uh, the 90% of my life in Palm Beach County, Florida. I uh, mo- moved up here right before the pandemic. And uh, currently I'm in the basement 
of my basement studio in my house. Um, yeah, just uh, yeah, meeting you up here, and this is where I am, so I can do what I got to do while the while the babies are sleeping. Um, yeah, and uh, marching band, man, drum corps, marching arts. So I, I guess the the highlight points would be that you know I started playing, I started on quads in high school, and then um, someone showed me when I was, I think no, yeah, no, someone showed me 1991 and 92, 92 Blue Devils. Um, and I was like, yo, that's pretty dope. And then I remember just hanging out during Thanksgiving break and the PBS broadcast came on of 1995. Um, oh, and 94 Blue Devils, my teacher showed me too. In 1995, this is my first year in high school. I was a quad player. And in 1995, the 1995 show, whatever the, I didn't realize that wasn't the whole, all the shows. Like I thought that was a complete show. I didn't realize to do like highlights. I could march in my living room, all the top 12 and a pioneer, I think, because they show some highlights of pioneer, and um, yeah, and so I mean, I, could, I in, whatever they showed of a snare line moving or a quad line moving around, I can march and play what I thought that show was yeah. with my fifteen-year-old brain. And then um, I was like, man, I got to do this. And then Magic of Orlando came in twelfth, and I was living in, like I said, in Florida. I said, cool, one's in Orlando, so I sent in a tape and um, for quads. I got a call. I got called to come audition. I went and auditioned, and I did not. And I I say this to this day, John Campies, I did not get an audition packet. Before the camp, John, if you're hearing yeah. this, <laughs> yeah, did not get audition packet. Um, so I go, I go audition, and everyone's playing. They're calling out exercises, and I'm just trying to learn it. Like at the time, I was already playing. You know, I was already playing some mallets and doing some things. But I mean, for the most part, I, I had played piano for a long time. But I was like trying to pick up the exercise, like the accent tap, while we we're going through it. And um, needless to say, I got cut from the quad line. So it was like, hey man, go to the pit. And I was 15 at the time. And, um, you know, Magic is no longer around, but they were a finalist. You know, they had broken the finals in 94, 95. They were like 11th and then 12th. And then I uh, went to the pit. There wasn't a lot of people there at the time. And I ended up playing bells the entire the entire year. Like on the 50-yard line, I was the glockenspiel player. Yeah. Um, that's all I played. And, you know, he wrote it like a bell part, which is fine. Like, I, you know, I, at the time I thought like, okay, I mean, I'm 15. I guess this is what's up. Um, and I, you know, I played bells and if there was a run to learn, I learned every other part though on the bells. Like I would just play it in whatever octave. Yeah. I learned every part on the off chance that something would come up and, you know, some things did. And that, that show is like, I had a pretty cool, like sledgehammer on an air tank thing. It was this, um, cool show. I got a lot of camera time. It was, it was fun in 96. Um, you know, then it did 96, I did 97 and then I was done for a while and I was in marching band. I still marched quads up until my senior year where I got kicked out of marching band because I had a bad attitude. Um, best thing that ever happened to me, absolutely, for my growth. And uh, then fast forward a couple years later, my father had passed in twenty one uh, 2001. It's my age out year, two, would be 2002. Campese calls me, probably to make up for the fact that he knows he didn't send me a packet in 96 and says, hey man, we're bringing magic back because they had been out for a while. Yeah. And so we come back in 2002, man, win Division Two at the time, now called Open Class, win Division Two, go compete um, and make finals Division One. come in 11th place, 10th place coming out of semifinals or quarterfinals. So um, epic year, you know, only, only, only crew to compete for six nights. Um, and then I taught Magic a little bit, a couple camps in 03, taught the full year in 04 and 05, and then I went dark when it came to drum corps. Yeah. I didn't. I still enjoyed it up through about 07, and then I probably can't tell you a show from 07 to 2016. I mean, that that's, might be a stretch, but for the most part. Um, and then I, uh, I started a camp called Mallet Lab, 
and called some people who I was really respecting in the game, kind of started getting back into it. And a friend of mine, Matt Hernandez, asked me to come out to Blue Stars in 2017 for a little time on tour. Then uh, 2018, I did Blue Coats. They had a ton of vibraphone stuff, so it was the coolest thing because mm-hmm. Tom calls me up and says, hey, man, I need you to teach jazz vibraphone. I'm like, you need me to come out to a championship drum corps and teach jazz vibraphone? Like, it was all my favorite things in one. And I was like... It was the coolest thing, man. That was a fun show in 2017. So um, I did that, and I've, I've never stopped teaching and arranging for the front ensemble. Um, you know, so when I get, like you said, I came out to Crossman. We did a couple different clinics like that when people started doing these clinics and stuff like that, and that was a lot of fun. And um, yeah, still rocking and rolling, you know, and and just arranging for a bunch of groups and, and, and teaching and consulting where I can. Sorry about that. No, no worries. Um First of all, you've been at this for a while. Uh, w- what I'm really interested in to, to start, something that I was just kind of wondering was about about your handle and sort of about the the brand of of what you do. It's not a xylophone, right? It's this uh, sort of tongue-in-cheek demystification around, um, in my mind, probably not just vibes, but about like keyboards in general. Um I think front ensembles, I was actually having this conversation yesterday just about the different cultures, even between batteries and fronts. And I feel like the front is this thing that if you haven't lived in that world, there's so much nuance or so many different corners of it. It it turns into those are the xylophones, right? That's kind of like the thing. Um, So I want to just ask you where that kind of came from and was that sort of something that you set out to do is I'm going to maybe craft a brand. Um, Cause I feel like that handle is almost beyond like a name, right? I feel like that's, that's almost like a company or sort of like the thing that um, I don't know, the umbrella through which you work. So is that true? Um, and just talk to me a little bit about what your like intent was when you put that together. So, Back when I was playing the bar scene, you know, vibraphone and bars, you know, playing jazz clubs and never just jazz clubs. It was always just, I never cared about the job, you know, I push my, I've, I've broken the laws of physics for that instrument on more <laughs> occasions than I can count, pushing it into the corner of, you know, whatever. And there was one night, maybe 2011, 10, not something. I was playing in this tiny space and these very inebriated, um, couples were hanging out and these women were like bumping up against my instrument and they were like, oh my God, it's a xylophone. I love the xylophone. And they were like, oh my God. I was like, and after a while, usually I just ignore it. Like at that point I was like, you know, whatever. I call it what they call it what you want. Just, you know, pay me. And then they were just like, ah, oh, but I love it. I love it so much. Oh my God. Hey, 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 Jenna, come look at this, this guy playing the big xylophone. <laughs> it's like a metal one. I've never Jenna. seen it. And they just wouldn't shut up and then they start one at one point they put their drink on my instrument uh-huh. while i'm playing like oh just hold let me, let me just kick my purse real quick and just plopped it you know right right down right here i mean they were just like let me just pop this right here real quick and let me just on the keys my yeah I'm, I, I'm playing and they're oh, and they're my. doing this and i'm That's like no no folks yeah, right so i'm just i got so upset like i was so angry i went home and changed every screen name changed my website name i didn't it didn't come from a place of like this should be clever i was just pissed and i was just like 
people will now know that it's not like I changed I changed my name on my email correspondence. I mean, I, I, I bought the website name just so that I could like start this mission. And that's where it started. Um, where it gradually evolved to was a part of my why, which is is really important to me. Like I fell in love with this instrument when I heard one of my teachers, um, Jerry Carpenter, who was one of my teachers at 96 Magic. We were somewhere in, I think we were in Hershey, Pennsylvania, man. And he was playing footprints, just improvising footprints oh, in the yeah. middle of the parking lot over dinner. And I didn't know, I'd never heard it. I was like, this sounds so interesting, so cool. What is he playing? And I went out and I... Um, I said, "Hey, man, Jerry, Jerry, what, what are you, what are you playing, man? Like, what are you doing?" He's like, "Oh, man, if, yeah, I'm just playing some jazz, man." And you know, and he was a big Crossman legend, by the way. He did Crossman for like a decade, like all the, most of the late '80s, early '90s. Yeah. Um, and he was just like, "Man, I'm just playing jazz." I'm like, where are the notes? He's like, "Man, they ain't no notes right now. It's a jazz. It's footprints. I'm just improvising some stuff." He was he was trying to write something for I and E, and um, I was like, "Wow, show me what are you talking about." And so that just got me wondering. When I got back home from tour, I found a jazz vibraphone teacher. Anyway, I just fell in love with it. And then he played for me, um, Chicory and Gary Burton's Live in Zurich, 1979. And I it was like angels had descended on high. Like I, I, I just, this is the most, the, it, it was everything. It's still everything. If I just need to, I just, it's still everything. And um, I, anyway, so I fell in love with it. And the thing was something that I just felt like I had to play. And, it wasn't easy at all. Um, not that anything really is, but it, it wasn't easy. Um, and so it's important to me that the next generation has an easier time than me, that the work that I'm laying down helps the next person that falls in love um, with this instrument and wants to make a living or wants to make a life with it, that they have an easier time. And it's not going to happen if people don't know the name. You know, no one sits here and says, you know what I want? I would love to have a xylophone at my wedding, for example, or I'd love to have it at this, this fundraiser, this cocktail party, this concert. You don't hear, or even people in their band, unless they're well-versed well in it, they're not usually like, oh, you know what I want to hear on this recording on my new album? Vibes. I want to hear a vibraphone. <laughs> even though, even though it is on a ton of pop culture, hip-hop, uh, pop, rock albums that people listen to, commercial works all over the place. But people hear xylophone, they think the playing on the ribs on the Flintstones. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you think plinko toys. You think you know the little wood instrument um, that you hear. So, as a result, you know, it just became something that was a little bit deeper. So when somebody comes up to me, and I always have friends who will, you know, I'll play something on whatever. They'll be like, "Oh, well, it's not a xylophone." They'll make some joke about it, but I'm like, "Little do you know, I." I won, <laughs> you know, just because you, you're even people are like, Hey, are, are, you know, are you still playing that? Wait, I know it's not a xylophone. What is it called? And right. that sense of consciousness is just slightly moving the needle. So what started as an angry, you know, bit of catharsis has ended up being a, a bit more about my mission. Wow. As things tend to do, I guess that's a funny, right. uh, that's a great origin story. It's like way less, um, <laughs> calculated than you would think a lot to lot to think about there and i kind of wanted to just start broad because you know obviously i'm like you know when i like describe myself it's not true but i'm like the snare drummer meathead guy like i you know i did um band in middle school and i, I was actually a very very involved drum set player you know up from gr basically eight years old till you know probably around 16 when i i kind of went in the direction of marching snare and I was kind of living in this world where my school didn't have a percussion specialist. So for, for me, I wasn't getting any attention from a like concert 
orchestral or jazz side. I was just getting yelled at by my band director, who's a clarinet player, who just told me to play quieter. You know, I didn't have someone coaching me or um, taking me through that. But um, in marching all age drum corps, uh, and then obviously marching indoor and it, like all my techs and my percussion caption heads, those felt like my percussion specialists and they were, but they, they really brought me into like the snare drum indoctrination. And that's where I lived it out, you know, through my age out. And I didn't, I didn't go to school for music or anything like that. So my, my world is very much, uh, as in terms of my formal training, I'd say it's much more snare drum heavy, but I certainly have an appreciation for jazz music and, and for, I mean, rap and hip hop, probably more so, honestly. Um, and I, I would want to kind of ask you as someone who lives in the performing arts and recording world, separate from the marching arts world, maybe not separate, but certainly different and distinct. What does the marching arts have to learn from jazz music, hip hop music, rap, pop? And what does jazz and rap, hip hop and pop have to learn from the marching arts? So I'll start with the one that I know of first because this is recent. My, um, you know, when I went to CrossFit, I went with Bill Muter, um, who's yeah. my right hand man, one of my best friends, uh, my music director, my band, and he got um, very rarely, but I'm always I'm always glad when he does because it's so dope. His last album, Topless in Tokyo, got this big festival date that we're going to be playing on, um, and he uh, called. We were talking about like what is he going to do because it's a quick hit. It's like 35, 40 minutes or something like that. I go, you know, it's funny because he's also writing up here at Kell High School. He's also writing the the brass book. Mm-hmm. And I go, you know, it's funny. Like we sit here and we 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 plot out the moments of. He's like, well, we're, I'm trying to really make it make it hit. And I'm like, we plot out the moments of these marching shows. Like we sit here and talk about general effects. Like what are the moments you want people on their feet? Like what are the moments you want people to be more introspective? Where where are the moments where we get that downtime? What's the sonic differences? Whatever. But we're doing these, you know, we're doing these 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 funk funk shows, and we're like. Yeah. Right, let's play the tune, and I'll play the other tune, let's play the other tune, let's play the other tune. And I'm like, just, just plan it out like that. And he's like, dude, that's it. And so, you know, he's making a, he made a whole click track. He essentially plotted the show like it was a 35-minute marching band show. You know what I mean? Like, just opened it up because he's so adept at doing that right. well. Um, and I always think about my shows, like about especially in the designing of marching band and general effect in those categories and what moves people. When I'm thinking about how to program a show, what tunes to use, not to use, I mean, that's where that that's where that came from, you know. And there's a lot of people who are. It's a hard thing sometimes going from the gigging musician to the concert musician, in terms of, like, um, you know, how do you how do you the, the the gigging musician will play a tune, even if they have the next tune, they'll be like, yeah, okay. you know, they get very introspective and they lose the audience. And they start talking to each other. There's a lot of dead air. All right, you want to start it? Oh, let's make a joke, whatever, and a lot of dead air. Um, you know, but the, the person who's more conscious about the audience yeah. is always going to make sure that whatever's happening is on purpose and whatever's happening is planned. Like you're emotionally um, controlling the outcome of and the reactions to the best of your ability. And so I, I, I got that from Drum Corps. In terms of what um, the marching arts or the pageantry arts can learn from that more pop sensibility. Yeah. I think a lot of that, I would say, comes down to the ability to be open to different styles of of what's good and appreciation of everything. Um, I think I listen to as many things as possible. I, I love to listen. I love to pick up stuff from other places. I love to, um, you know, just be open to different possibilities and blending different genres. And I think that with the rigidity of the marching art, sometimes 
the people who are there want to hear it a certain way. They want to hear things. And I think it's not even about like the kids. It's not even about the the performers, right? Performers do what we tell them to do. I think it comes down a lot to the judging community that could, you know, I think it comes down to like what other sounds are possible, what other harmonic, you know, things are possible. And every now and then you have a group that comes around and changes the game in that aspect and makes, makes you have to listen because it's time, you know, or, or makes you have to look and sit up and say, okay, this is, this is hip. This is what's up. Um, but a lot of times you see, uh, okay. Um, I'll tell you, uh, I know I'm getting the long way around to this answer, but for example, the idea that the front ensemble is built up so much like a snare line in order to get credit, mm-hmm. you know, you have marimbas are your snare drums, your vibes are your quads, you know, you have, and everything needs to look, you need to have all four, if God forbid you don't have five or six marimbas in a row you know, right next to each other. And then the other four or five vibraphones in a row and make sure that their heights are exactly the same. Y- you can't have more than one or two musical ideas going on at the same time. Otherwise, it's, otherwise these, a lot of these judges, which may, might not be trained in, they're, they're, not, they're not judging with their ears like I think they should be. Um, they might end up giving less credit because of the fact that it's built differently, right? Like there's different harmonic ideas being presented, which visually doesn't look the same. So I think that that's, that's a closed minded ism to where you're like, well, you know, it's really easy for me to look at a marimba line and say, ah, guys, uniformity of approach, we got to make sure it happens. It's not happening up here. You know, we're going to cause some vertical alignment issues and keep moving. When in reality, it's like, actually, there's six musical ideas going on and they're all being presented in like this perfect, like, wow, let me sit on this for a minute. You know what I mean? Like that was, that was good. Let me talk to this. Let me see what their intent was. Let me see them on the second show. Let me not, let me not nail it for not looking like a snare line in this one, because we're not meant to look like a snare line. That's not how we're meant to play, you know? So I think that that's something. I know that was a little more of a nebulous answer than, <laughs> than the other way around, but. That's how we do it on here. I, that's what I'm, that's what I'm looking for. I mean, I, I agree with you and, um, it's interesting because it's all about reinforcing almost like when you're talking about at least, um, choices that are made in the marching arts, we're trying to reinforce what people already know, not challenge it all the time. There are groups, like you said, that will come out and bust that up. Blue coats have certainly done that. We talk about broken city percussion on here a lot as one of those groups that sort of change the narrative or they, sh- they shift the perception that everyone kind of follows suits because you've seen with the blue coats, what they did in 20, honestly, 15 was probably the year that I think of with, with sound. Um, and then obviously in 17 and 18, what they did with their front ensemble um, in terms of how they put them into sort of cocktail setups around the field. Rather yeah. Than- yeah. Pa- pause that for a second. Yeah. I did that first. I did that first. I know it was a high school, but I, pu- I published them a lot. I'm not saying Tom Merrick took the idea. I mean, they've been doing it in Broadway pits for a long time, yeah. whatever. All I'm saying is I got video from 14, 15, 16 and 17 with my front ensembles in vibraphone marimba pods. That's all I'm saying. I- That's all I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not accusing anybody of anything. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just trying just putting that out there, you know? Absolutely. I'm sure Tom Merrick, um, would, would appreciate it. I'm sure he would. And you obviously worked with him. So, um, and honestly, parts of that actually as a perfect example, um, it made them unjudgeable on the field, to be very frank with you. Right. Exactly what I'm saying. That's my point. So you have a group that goes out there and does something different because you're like, you know what? We need some more Contras or they need some more color guard or whatever the case might have been. Why do we need to have, if we have this much amplification, do we need to have seven marimbas? 
RAM and notes right. and all this rosewood and all this resources of rosewood that are being blown up because you're out there and you know you could put it somewhere else and you could just have seven killers playing you know you only need two vibraphone players to maybe reinforce and not make it sound like a solo with sound and when you got a guy like Matt Jordan out there right man you know sound amplification in the way that you can reverb stuff and do things there's no reason that you need to have eight marimbas out there so he does this and then you're going to be like, I when I saw that the first time, and I saw them in like Jupiter, like in mid early early mid season, and um, I was like, oh, they're not winning drums. Like, there's no, you can't because you can't see them all at the same time, right. and you can't judge them as a link. Instead of just going back and judging with what we should be judging, it's a front ensemble. Why are we judging with our eyes? You know, at least why are we primarily judging with our eyes? You know. Yeah, I mean, I think it it goes back to our our roots where. You know, we are embedded in a, a rudimental mindset and that's a, a label based sort of thing. Like when you were talking, I was thinking about the Mars Volta and when I listened to Mars Volta, it is the most cacophonous, like layered thing. But when you just sit in it, it's this like experiential, psychedelic, mystical experience, right? And that's not because I'm going oh, well, the left, you know, the guitar is panned on my left ear and it's playing 16th notes. And then on my right ear, we got the bass and it's like playing the syncopated rhythm. And then over top, like, it's just not really like that. And I think we have this this real identity crisis about analysis um, because we're trying to judge things that don't, they go beyond analysis or sometimes they're better, they're better left unanalyzed. So then we plug them into these criteria and it eliminates the possibility for experimentation. Yeah, or some of the stuff just doesn't belong in that idiom. I, I stopped. I actually at the high school I'm at. I just stopped. I stopped using acoustic keyboards. I only use mallet stations now. Wow. Okay. So what a perfect segue. I was I was going to ask you, or or I was going to bring up priors. Like I feel like we're at, when you were talking about Rosewood, we're at this divergent point where I see us going like this. Like we commit ourselves to the acoustic world, and people start to get speakers out of the equation they start to get tvs and all this crazy miking out of the equation and drum core goes back to its roots which was nuts and bolts human playing or what you just said and, and we've talked about it mason and we're doing something um in this direction but why don't we just have five mallet cats that we can literally put anything through and then we're talking about a our ability to program sound in a way that's not as limited to just, well, we have our like different mallet choices and we have the tessitura and that, and we have symbols. Like it's way less that's, limited. That's, that's what I have. I have five mallet stations. That's all I use now. So what, what, what is the, what's been the, what's been the, the feeling of that? I mean, the kids might not know the difference, but how has it been received? Like, what was that like? So here, the, the, the reason why is twofold. I mean, I have this, um, this article that I wrote a while ago about we're training our young musicians, our percussionists to be technicians instead of musicians, um, which got a, which got a lot of ambivalence, which is good, right? Good for the numbers. Um, but basically what I was saying was the fact that, in, you know, it starts in middle school and you basically take away a kid's choice. And as, as percussionists, our superpower is our choice. We have more choices to make than any other instrument, bar none, period, yeah. full stop. Not, not an object. That's an objective, uh, a fact. Yeah. And, you know, what mallets, where to hit the drum, how to hit the drum, what head, how to tune it, what material of snare drum, what. Now, a lot, some of those things are, 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 are privileges of the, of, the, 
of the wealthy, right? I mean, put you know, put it out there. You know, if I have I have seven, six or seven concert snare drums to choose from, I mean, that's privileged. But nonetheless, you know, and I have plenty of mallets. You know, how are we going to play a xylophone? I don't know. We have sixteen pairs that you can pick from to pick different sound choices. However, if in sixth grade you start by saying, "Hey, w- little Timmy," you're doing your warm ups. You're trying to get a nice B flat. You know, obviously we hit a B flat if the instrument's in tune, the instrument's in tune, right? So that causes the challenge of one band director, you know, 100 kids, and he's got to focus on the people who need that low-hanging fruit, right? I think I used that analogy wrong. The high-hanging fruit? Whatever. The squeaky wheel. There we go. There you go. And, um, and, uh, and so meanwhile, the percussionists are relegated to just being troublemakers because <laughs> – those are the kind of kids that they chose. Like yeah. they don't choose the they don't choose the ones they want. They they know who they're putting on flute. You know what I mean? Like they know they're putting the smart kids on oboe. <laughs> you know, um, and uh, and and so we we take that away. But what if just for a minute we were like, hey, that B flat was interesting. But wh- how, where did you choose to hit on the? Is that the best place to hit on the bar? I don't know. Well, tr- hit it again. Oh, oh, try hitting it somewhere else on the bar. Oh, how does that sound to you? Oh, it sounds better. Like would you say like what do you uh, like? I don't know, louder? Yeah, louder, cool. Why don't we hit there? Let's let's keep that going. I like that too. You know, what are you using? Well, I'm using the broken half a mallet we have over here. Well, interesting. What else do you have? Well, I have this Q-tip. Try that. Uh, no, I don't like that better. What about that pencil you have? That pencil? Uh, no, I don't like that. Okay, keep using the broken half a mallet. Cool. But now you're teaching these kids about the the power that they have. You're giving them agency to be able to play. And so, but we don't do that yet. Um, and so the next challenge is, at least for me in South Florida, the first time I ever even saw a marimba was when I got to high school. I only had, saw a xylophone and bells before then. And then the first thing we do when we see them is we're like, all right, here you go. Ready? You know, and we're just we're just teaching these kids to pound the tar out of them, right. microphone or no microphone. Like we're teaching them a very vis- a- a- aesthetically focused outdoor technique. Right. Right. And, 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 and then you have these techs who are only there for the marketing season. Their only job is to win and, and, and say, hey, look at me so I can get the next gig and get paid more. You know, their job is in a holistic full, you know, semester, full year of, of, of education. So you're teaching them like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to show you this. We're going to rehearse this part into you. I'm going to take away your choices. And I'm going to tell I'm not going to say, hey, how did that sound to you guys? Uh, you know, I think, I don't know. Can we play it again? All right, play it again. Listen, open your ears. How did it sound? It didn't sound together. Well, why? Well, who was rushing? Oh, I felt like I was rushing. All right, well, let's try that. Do something different. You know, we don't do that kind of stuff because, if God forbid, we don't have it clean by parent night at band camp, you know? So um, all of this to say that it causes big-time problems when we get indoors in the second semester or second nine weeks because of the fact that now we're inside and the way they've been taught to play is specific to an aesthetic and outdoor technique. And of course, I'm not talking about everybody, right? So we can get, here's your disclaimer, guys. If, I'm not talking to you if you don't do this, all right? Thank you. Not you, but whoever's listening. Um, <laughs> I was actually offended, so thank you. I know, I know. Well, no problem. I figured, yeah, figured. I'm good now that you know it's not me personally. I'm not talking to you, Indiana, most of Texas, Southern California, and some schools in Florida. Anyhow, so, so the other problem is that, and this is the bigger problem, is that, we have students that are, feel more rewarded. Find, I mean, phrase that. They only find their reward through technical demand and not musical excellence. So, if the part ain't choppy, if you're not ramming paradiddles, flam drags, and chittimachuggas, then they're like, "This sucks. This is boring." Right? There's no thought to saying, "Listen to how this har- like harmony develops. Listen to how." 
this is happening. What do you think should be ha- happening with this with this mallet run right here in marching band, you know, or, or anytime? So, so they don't appreciate that that symbol role is the thing that's bringing you home, that's causing this emotional moment and high point in your in your concert band literature when you're playing Elsa's processional to the cathedral. It's an eight bar symbol role, you know, and you know because 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 when I, I and I go to do clinics a lot around all you know all around the 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 uh, all around, and I say. Uh, Hey, why did you choose that symbol? And they'll be like, I don't know. Some kid, I don't know. Because it was there? Because it was there. Right? So availability was the best ability of the symbol. Like, well, who are you playing that symbol role with? Uh, The band. Okay, which part of the band? Uh, I don't know. You know, it's like, well, it's just the flutes, clarinets, and and, and high brass. Do you think that that 22-inch ride symbol is a good choice? You know, extra dry (laughs) ride is a good choice for this this two-count (laughs) <laughs> symbol roll, you know, it's like maybe not. Maybe it's a it's it's a fifteen inch fast crash. Just because it didn't say the word suspended on it doesn't mean it's not the right choice. So we t- we we take away all this. We get a, a group of kids who don't don't find any reward in being a part of something. They find their segreg their segregation to be part of the reward because they're doing something completely different. And 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 a group of students who um, only feel rewarded when stuff is technically demanding, not when it's musically. Um, uh, you know, musically rewarding, right? Well, yeah, I absolutely, and and it's like, oh, I, I didn't even answer your question. I'm sorry. We're so talking, we were talking about the Malakats. All of that, <laughs> I decided that I decided that I was going to change change it and make a bunch of producers in the front instead of mallet players who are also mallet players. So mallet player producers. So I did it this year. We merged with another marching band this year because of COVID, um, and we just decided that we were supposed to go to Hawaii with this group before COVID shut it down. And we're like, well, let's just do a show together. And the logistics were kind of a nightmare, but it was, it was rewarding. Maybe not have to worry about numbers. Some kids said they wanted to quit. And I was like, peace out to you. I got seven snares anyway. Um, it's cool. It's clever. Honestly. So, and, and honestly it worked. Won't do it again, but it worked. Um, and there was a lot of cool stuff. And so I had, they'd had the acoustic section. We decided that that school would do the acoustic front and I would do the five mallet stations. Um, but I arranged the whole thing. So I arranged it so that when the schools were separate, that nothing would feel like it was missing. But what hit me out of the nowhere was like, wait, I don't have to write for marimba sounds and vibe sounds. I can write for strings and synths, like the load of synths that I can. And I was ended up huddled in the in a fetal position you know, with too many options and too many choices. But the goal was like no one ever t- – I didn't ha- have a single comment on technique on malizations. Um, I didn't have a single comment on because they face each other also, and so we use two laptops for for one. Ma- I mean, two mallet stations for one laptop, and um, they use the same xylophone mallets. And it's more about the production and the sound, and like they're learning about sound because I can show them in main stage. Like, is this a square lead, or is it a a saw, or is it a you know? Cir- they can see the sound waves, and I'm and I'm applying those same things to when we're inside. So when we're inside and we don't do marching band. And I'm like, what kind of sound is that? Did that sound angular? Did it sound round? And they immediately know what I'm talking about because they've seen it and they've thought about it. And I'm like, you got to make this sound more round. I'll just yell down. I need that that keyboard from up here. It sounds way too angular. And they know how to go into main stage, open up the program, round it out, do some things with it, you know, mess with it and be like, what, how does this one sound? I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. So that, they actually that, are editing the samples themselves. Oh, yeah. I don't do that stuff. I mean, I do wow. do that stuff at, at the end of it, like – when, but I, I want them to be making their choices and be, be producers of their sound, you know? And, um, you know, so as a result, I now 
no longer need a semi truck, right? We have the one box truck that carries the props, and I have a van. We have a van that carries the five, the three carts for five mallet stations, and um, and the sound stuff. Um, I have no longer have, listen. The wear and tear on instruments in high schools don't happen because of the playing. It's loading and unloading on the truck. Yeah, because because you know because jo- Johnny Bandad is throwing the contras on top of it. You know, and didn't bungee them right. So I can now start actually fixing instruments and and repairing instruments, knowing they're going to stay repaired. And then now what we play are these nice little cool cool instruments. You know, cool toys or cool um, you know implements of sound outside and then when we go inside it's like all right guys here's how you play a piano you know what i mean like here's how you play a piano all right you guys hear that listen to a true piano and now i don't have to make this differentiation between because when they're outside they're playing and i'm like yeah turn that down they're like okay sorry (laughs) you know and they're playing and then we go inside the next day after rehearsal and we're like all right play a true piano Mm, you know and that's not it better sound quality you know what i mean so it has a lot of benefits and whatever drawbacks it may have in the competitive season. And obviously it's when you're all tech, you know, one time everything was working fine. We rolled out to the field and someone kept their Wi-Fi on. So the Dante got interrupted and it tried to pick up off the school's Wi-Fi and the sound effects didn't work. I was worried because the kid felt terrible and, you know, I made sure that didn't happen again. But those are the problems that we now deal with are, are those kind of troubleshooting problems, which is like a new type of thing and i've always i i just can't stand the i think the more that tech seeps into the equation for what we do which i am fully supportive of i feel like the the rushing to set up and tear down is just such an silly part of the equation it's like that it's like the anti-success absolutely factor i just I just can't stand that. I, I've I've kind of floated a couple of different ways to to deal with that that aren't necessarily that attractive, I guess, to um, you know the the median denominator. But I, I just feel like that is huge. Um, at Mason this year, we we're using a DTX in the most like insanely maxed out way. Like one of our really a dude who's good enough to make the snare line, but didn't we? Um, and we always plan to have a DTX role, and we basically have written this whole part for this guy on the DTX and he plays, you know, both vertically with the battery um, and vocabulary that could only be achieved. Synthetic vocabulary could only be achieved through a DTX and through touch sensitive pads. We actually use a DTX and we use like the eight spot, whatever that maybe it's a roll in drum pad or something like that. Um, And uh, so he plays with the battery, like sounds that modulate and evolve over clean with like rolls and fast, um, you know, rhythms and, ver- and vertical things. And then he also has a huge place in like the, just the sound samples, you know, he does that whole thing. And it's honestly, it's been very eye opening with what he's been able to do. Cause he does have technical drumming skills. So we've capitalized on that, but just the, I don't know. It's like, we're, like you said, we had, why do you have to have five marimba standing in a line? And like, honestly, some of the stuff that people are writing, I'm sure you agree. Like, I think people, write things for keyboards um that are just overtly difficult for that exact sake like just because it's hard um and then the amount of time we have isn't enough to like get it to the level that would be rewarding you know i think that's to your point about oh it has to be technical but if it sounds like trash that re- there's a lack of re- intrinsic reward if you if you know the music is overwritten because a member the student can't get there and i feel like sometimes 
we check these boxes of these technical things. Like we need to do permutations and laterals and wide octaves and like just kind of these buzzy technical terms that judges use. But like it, it's vocabulary. It's things that like five kids can't achieve in the time they have. And it's just like a failing, uh, the equation's not right. And it's not necessarily on the student's fault. Um, and I think that gets to the root of kind of what you're saying is like, what about what this all sounds like and how you listen to it in a, in as music, part of a bigger picture. Um, and, you know, thinking about pop music versus what we do in the marching arts. It's like, that's what I always, I actually love what you were talking about, about pacing a concert in the way you would pace a show. And I'm very much about like, how would I pace a show in the way I would pace like a song or an EP or an album um, in that way, you know, the way that, Kendrick would produce, you know, to pimp a butterfly in the way that it all works together. You know what I mean? So I love that. Like that relationship is like very fruitful. I think on both ends personally. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, and I think, I mean, at the end of the day, I I pace a solo or that I, an improvised solo that, you know, I would pace that the same way, you know, in terms of how I would tell a story if I was writing a story or, or if I want to watch a good movie, you know, like, are you giving me the exposition? Are you giving me the rising action, the climax, the falling action, the resolution? You know, am I getting all those moments, um, um, you know, to be able to make things happen? I mean, listen, at the end of the day, the funny thing about the funny thing about mar- the marching arts is that it's kind of a, I don't know what the term would be, but the people who do it are the ones who become the fans. You know, right. the, it's parents, insulated. the parents and the people who do it are the ones who become fans. So we're all know what we're looking at for the most part. And, but at the same time, you know, the shows that can find a way to, to, to have a high level of excellence, but also be show. And, and, you know, I think that we went through some dark years, to be honest with you. There, there are some shows that like I listen to and people be like, dude, this show is so great. And I listen to it. I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. And I'm not even saying that like an old guy, like I love modern drum corps and I don't know what the hell is going on during this show right now. Um, because it's just a bunch of, I feel like people are just doing, it's just like, it's moment to moment to moment to moment to moment with no melody, nothing to connect to. It's just technical, cool thing, other technical, cool thing, something to get them from point A to point B, other technical, cool thing, visual moment. And so it's it just like, I think, and I think that, I think the pinnacle of that was 2017 Blue Devils. I'll just say it right here. You know what I mean? Like I have listened to that show so many times and people will always show me, people will always show me a thing they like from it. Remember the snare thing that happened when this happened? cool like a tiny little right or when this happened and i listened to this show and i'm like this is the pinnacle of us playing for ourselves and playing for other musicians which is by the way if you've ever taken any class with me at any point you will know the number one thing i will teach you if you want to be a performer is never care about what any other musicians think about you don't play for other musicians ever not once um unless they're unless they're your boys on the bandstand behind you but even then you have an option because they're not the pe- they're they're the first people who are asking for free tickets and comp, comp tickets and free CDs. You know what I mean? Like, oh man, let me get a ticket to your show, and then they'll come and sit there like this. He's playing that lick again. See him playing that lick. He's playing that lick again. You know what I mean? Like, I don't play for those people at all. I pay for the people who wanna who wanna come and get some catharsis. Who just want to come feel something. You know what I mean? And 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 when I stopped playing music that I I felt like I was expected to play on my instrument, and I played music that I just liked despite my instrument. Um, that's when I started selling out houses. That's when I started selling tickets and selling albums. And that's when I started, I was like, I'm going to play hip hop because I love hip hop. I'm going to play this music from the nineties that I grew up on because I love it. And I don't care if I'm playing it on a vibraphone. I'll just figure out how to do it. And 
And when I started doing that, people the people started coming. The people started enjoying it. No one, I, I didn't want my albums or my concerts to be like, whoa, what a cool vibraphone concert. Or what a cool xylophone concert, as they might say. I wanted them to be like, man, that was some great music. Man, I felt, you feel you feel that when he was playing, man, the connection on stage. Or, man, I just, I had a rough day, man. When he played that that one song, I was just like, man, that just it just really spoke to me. And I've just been going through a rough time. And, and that was, that's, those are the people that I want to play for. And I think that when you talk about the, the transformative shows, which I think are like, if I had to just throw them out there, and I'm just spitballing, right? I'm sh- no one quote me on this necessarily, but but one I'll say for sure is blue, you know, uh, blue coats 2016, right? That show I could show that show to anybody, and everyone would be like, dude, that was that was intense, you know, that was pretty crazy. I could show, I could show Cavaliers 2002, even though there's literally no no melody, but that was kind of the point. You had your melody, your harmony. It was just such a beautifully written show. It was so setting. I could show. Blue Devils, nineteen ninety. Well, pretty much all the nineties. You know what I mean? And they would just understand They're it. Jamming, yeah. Cav- Cavaliers ninety five. You know, you could show. I mean, you could show all all of these types of shows are the ones that really move people that they remember. The only people that get moved by a bunch of you know unrecognizable rhythms over the one are people who already do it, and we get jazzed up. And I'll tell you, that was. I'll tell you what we can learn from or maybe anti-learn from some, some drum corps is the fact that like, I remember I used to have this, this, this residency at this really popular restaurant down in, in Palm beach or in, yeah, in Palm beach County. And I loved it. We played like every Thursday, Friday at a band called eight track mind. And, um, there was like eight of us and we played like original tunes and I played vibes, a piano, a couple horns. It was a cool band and we played and you get so addicted to this. You know, every week you're so addicted to your friends having a cool place to come see you and thinking you're fancy because they're going to come out. When are you playing it? When are you playing at this place next? And one day I kind of just looked around and realized like it was never going to get better if I didn't get off of this, you know, stop and make some big changes. So when people ask me like, how did you go from your first ticket, you know, from from playing a bunch of gigs to like playing ticketed shows? And there's a lot of different paths to this, but for me. I rented a space. I had a well. I made a deal with a space for a fifty-fifty on the tickets for a year and a half out. It was a new space. They wanted. They were looking for people. Like a year and a half out, and I was I was doing a lot of things in the community. So you know, I, I came with some a little bit of clout. But um, and then I stopped playing publicly for a year and a half, and it was hard. It was like withdrawal from from drugs, man. I played like festivals if I got hired from, and I played private parties. But I got a side hustle. And to make to pay my bills, and I just stopped. And people were like, "Hey, man, when you play at this restaurant again?" I'm like, oh, "I'm not, man. I'm not playing there anymore." What? Oh, I love to come see you because people, when they have all the access to you, um, they don't. They're not going to pay. T- they, they don't know that. Like, well, this is a different thing if I'm playing on stage versus if I'm playing in the back of a restaurant. But I, I, I looked around and I'm like, man, I am doing all the marketing to get people to come and not listen to me. They come in, they hang out for a second, and they want to go have a conversation. They're like, hey, let's go outside. And they go outside to have the conversation, and I'm like, all right, well, you know. And so I, I, I didn't want to do that anymore, and I, I wanted people to come and listen to what I was having to offer. I was going to do this. So it was a year, one of the hardest years and a half of my life. Um, and ended up, I oversold two show. I oversold a show, my, my, you know, this opening show. I charged 35, I think I charged 30, low end, standing, standing room general admission was 25 and up to 45, which is a pretty big deal in the VIP. And you know, we sold it out, standing room only, and uh, it was it was awesome. But it took a year and a half of me not playing for people. So I, I think that's one thing that sometimes we miss out on when we're in this art. Like we want to impress our colleagues. Mm-hmm. We want it. We want we want our our students and to be like, 
Oh, oh man, that's so great. Is that like, you guys are like as good as Chino Hills or whatever. You guys are as good as this. You guys are good at that. Ian, listen, you know, Ian Graham just had a kid and I'll, and I'll say this, I'll say this right now. He, he, he's, he's realizing just like the rest of us when we become fathers that there are more important things than the, than the quality of the diddles, you know? And, and I'm telling you, if you, if you, as you, as you watch his progression and I, I just love him so much. Like I honestly love the dude so much. And just when we talk, it's just like, you can hear the way he's even talking about his students and what he wants to share with them. It's different. It just changes in this way that you really, really understand when, when things start to, when things start to change and you start to see the children as other people's kids and other people. And I'm not saying he didn't do that, but you know, um, uh, you know, it's just, it's just the line is so good. Imagine how good they're going to be, you know, when now you get this like dose of extra parent dad energy, <laughs> empathy, you know, like um, when he's sitting here, not even talking about that. Everyone always asks me like, why do you always have to make a life lesson out of everything? I'm like, cause everything is everything, man. Like it's, you know, I lecture as much as I teach, you know? And so I guess all that again is just a long way around. And just a saying that um, I think that, if we stopped playing for our colleagues and we stopped playing for the ego and we started just really saying, well, what do these kids need to be well-rounded humans? Cause they're probably not gonna, cause we all know, I don't think there's a single musician that you know, that if you said, do you think music is good for the overall humanity of, of a person and the overall, you know, whether they want to be musicians or not, they're not going to say like, yeah, of course. Right. But then when we sit there, we sit here and we take away all their choices and we sit here and we over, we rehearse them so that we can say, and, and, and I'm not saying that we only, but when we're rehearsing them so much that we're defining every little thing and we're doing it so much that we're, they're no longer even need to practice because we're rehearsing, you know, 14 hours a week during school. You know, every Saturday is a drumline sectional. Um, I don't do that. I stopped doing that when I was at Boca High, you know, and, and, and the first year took a hit. And every single season in marching band, Sometime around early October, I'm like, it's dirty as anything. I'm like, was this a good choice? Maybe I should have extra rehearsals, you know, because this is just really not vertically aligned and it's pretty dirty. But I hold to it, and I have to be okay if the kids don't practice when I tell them it's time. When it's telling them it's time, it's going to be a dirty show, and I have to be okay having a warm up where some kids fall out and some uh, show where a kid's like, uh, and like you know, and the colleagues being like, oh, what Drew Dun Drew Dunn fell off. You know, or saying whatever they want to say, because I know that what I'm teaching those students, I want them to feel that pain and that like, not like, hey, you, you don't want to feel that again. This time, when I say it's time to learn up to letter D on a Wednesday, you learn. Yeah, up to letter I D hear you. Yep, I'm following you. Yep. You know. Yeah. But if you're not willing to let them do that, if you're like, wow, you guys don't know it. Well, guess what? We have to do. We're going to rehearse all Saturday. Yeah. They're not going. Okay. Well, that's that's what you'll always do. If we don't learn it, we'll just rehearse it. I'll learn it at the rehearsal, and then that's what they default do because that's what kids do. You know, and we're not willing to do that. We play for our colleagues. We play for our ego. We and and I tell them all the time. I said I could sit here in class all day and rehearse this with you. Like I could show it to you by rote. I could play it for you. We could play it over and over again. But I'm not going to sit here and play for three. You know, these two marimba parts on this thing when I have other. You know, I have 16 other kids in this class or whatever the case may be. And 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 I'm like because then what happens is it's my success. And it's my ensemble. And I want you to feel the success. I want you to be more successful. And I want you to feel like this was yours, like you own this. And that's what, what ended up happening at Boca High. And it's what, what I'm working for to Kel. But I was at Boca High for 14, 15 years. So, I mean, you know, we, we were, it was at the point where it was like on autopilot, where I would just be like, you know, I would look at them and they would just be like, uh, and they would be like, no. Right. You know, you're, you're, first thing. you're teaching them actual accountability. And like we, we do say a lot in the marching arts, like, you know, it's like you're a professional musician, blah, blah. It's like, well, 
Not really, because we don't really operate like that with that expectation because we're so afraid of the students quitting because we we need to f- have our spots filled and we we need the money f- from tour dues and you know a professional musician so hard to get a gig and honestly right now it's impossible to fill most of the drum corps so we have a very different problem that then kind of I don't know we're we're afraid of of holding individuals to a certain standard i think across the board it's kind of a cultural thing i, I wanted colleges to too. what's that colleges too yeah exactly yeah. yeah yeah mass exodus and it's it's this process of like kind of padding it and you know cut cutting is is something that people just avoid in general these days it's very taboo Are you looking for a high quality apparel made exclusively for the marching arts? That Dan Band Show is brought to you by Lot Riot Apparel. Lot Riot was founded by a drum corps alumni with a mission to create the premier apparel brand in the marching arts. And he definitely accomplished that goal. There's no other brand out there like Lot Riot. No matter what band event you go to, you will see Lot Riot clothing being worn by members, fans, and instructors alike. It is literally everywhere. Lot Riot is the brand that bonds the marching arts community together. They have a passion for band and have a real stake in their customers and the activity. With Lot Riot, you're part of a greater whole, a group of friends, a community. I love Lot Riot because they draw on a minimalistic streetwear aesthetic and use high quality materials to create cool, comfortable clothing. Their brand fits my personal style super well, which is why I am proud to have Lot Riot as a personal sponsor, as well as a sponsor of this podcast. Lot Riot is currently offering listeners of That Dan Bancho 15% off all purchases on LotRiot.com. Simply go to LotRiot.com and use the code DANBAND, one word, at checkout, and you will receive 15% off everything you buy. But that's not all. Listeners of the podcast use the code DANBAND will also receive an exclusive Lot Riot That Dan Band Show pin and sticker pack for free. So go to LotRiot.com right now to get 15% off your order and a free sticker and pin pack using the code DANBAND at checkout. See you in the lot. Somebody wanted to, I was wondering about, you're talking about Blue Devil 17. All, all the great things they do, some things they don't do as well, whatever. I was thinking, what if the marching arts is in an era where this is not a musical activity? Um, and this is my thought process. <laughs> this is, I know, hot take. This is my thought process is like the individuals, and maybe this is an opinion, so you can combat this, but you might agree. The individuals who are spending the most time year round in the marching arts are who? The outdoor and indoor cats. That's your color guard people, your drumline people, and and your pit people, for sure. Only one of those factions can even produce a melody, right? The brass thing has not, you know, the winds thing, it's happening in WGI, but it's not taken off yet. It's still young. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but those individuals have other things on their plate. You find a lot more music ed majors who have things on weekends, um, you know, their juries, their recitals, their ensembles, etc. Whereas drumline heads might just be drumline heads, guard people. They're not majoring in color guard, obviously. So I, I almost wonder, like, not it's not the rise of WGI in terms of the content of WGI, but rather how it has 
created certain verticals of our activity that are less melodic and more visually oriented. So now that when we look at DCI, like a group of Blue Devils, which is highly innovative, even though the numbers, it's still 60-40 in terms of music viz, it seems like that's the type of group that is ahead in one way if you look at the paradigm and say, has the visual aspect actually overtaken the music aspect? And I don't know that that's across the board and that's like ubiquitous, but I think from like the highest level of visibility, especially with drum cores, I just wonder, you know, I just wonder because like you said, that absence of melody, like we focus on a lot of things that aren't the music being something that you can listen to. Like in the car, you put the music on and you can listen to it, which is really absurd when you zoom out and you're like, this is a musical activity, quote, you know, quote. I'm just not sure. I almost feel like, again, like identity crisis, sort of a shit, a fundamental shift that we are experiencing and we we don't know where we're at. I, I agree with you, especially when you're talking about, I hadn't even thought about the fact that with all that year-round stuff that the only people who actually produce a melody is the front ensemble. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm, I've always thought about it like, even when you think about certain artists, you know, there's the age-old thing, like, was Madonna a singer or an entertainer? Was Elvis a singer or an entertainer? Was sure. Britney Spears a singer or an entertainer? You know, and I think the drum corps is about entertainment. It became sort of about this... I don't, you know, people will say, like, this is the way drum corps is evolving. It's it's not really. I mean, there was just a moment where everybody was like, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, the ni- 80s and 90s were all about, were really all about, you had, the, you know, you, you picked shows in the 90s. Like, you're doing a show, a Latin show, and first movement, second movement, third movement, or these are the four songs, and it sort of evolved out of that, and sort of, this is sort of like a more holistic show, and it's, and then you had like sort of this high point, what I think was like in Carolina Crown, I think maybe 07 when they did like uh, um, the horse show. Um, triple Crown. Triple Crown. My Kentucky Derby. Okay, that's a Triple yeah, Crown. Triple Crown. Um, which was like this super, it's just a great show full of just quality beats and quality everything. Plus, it was so fun to follow and entertaining. And I think that that should honestly factor into it. I don't think it should be like an entertainment category necessarily. But I think if you, I think when you're talking about a GE general effect and, you know, wow, I this was a great crescendo versus like this was a great moment that paid off and was fully understandable by my grandmother. Uh, you know, I think that the grandmother score should factor in there or something, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, yes. I, I see it for what it is. I don't think it's even when I'm, I'm rehearsing with my with my, you know, with the, with with a high school group. It's, to me, it's more of it's our sport. It's our leadership. It's our it's about teamwork. It's about seeing things through. It's about, wow, this is really hard. It's hot out here and it sucks. And how are we going to become better people because of it? Um, and there's certain things that you can only learn in team sports. And we're fortunate that as a as musicians, we get to learn those things with kids who probably wouldn't make the football team or make the soccer team. And they get to learn those valuable life skills doing that thing. And it, it's also it pl- serves really as the ambassador for the school, you know, and that we go out and we play for the community and it's village building. When we go out and do that, you know, parents come out and parents bring their friends and kids, friends come. And that's how villages have been built for a gent for, for many, 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 many hundreds of years, putting, st- putting children out in front of people, to perform and to, you know, uh, put their skills on exhibition has been how villages were built and kept together. And I think that marching band is a thing that we do that for now. So I love it for that. Uh, you know, I, I'm not trying to disparage it in any way. I just think that there are certain things that when 
we forget why we're there and what we're doing that sometimes it can become um, more about us and less about the why. Yeah. I wonder it's, it's a real problem. It's a really weird thing that the best versions of what we do are the most niche version versions. When you would ask a non band person, you know, even a non musician, but even just a musician, it's not in the, in the marching arts. When you think of marching band, when you think of the marching arts, what do you think? They would say an HBCU or mm-hmm. Drumline the movie, which is HBCU. And it's like nothing wrong with that, though, nowadays with these HBCUs. No, and YOS is I, honestly, that like I, that's what I'm saying is like Blue Devils or, you know, North Carolina A&T, North Carolina A&T, Cold Steel. Right. Like and it's like the Blue Devils are doing what they're doing. They're doing it at a high level of excellence, but one person gets it right. Or like four people get it or they're pretending to get it. So they feel smart. Whereas like A&T is playing this James Brown thing that we all understand. And there's like a feeling to it. And they're actually able to like perform and express themselves in a way that is like human and exciting and raw, like actually going to concert. And it was like, if I can be the first person to like, and I don't think I maybe should be the first person because I'm not from that world at all. But like someone needs to be stealing the things that HBCUs are doing at DCI and win with it because I could see that happening. I mean, the, you know, there's certain even little things like the, they always crescendo their five stroke roles. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like little stuff like that and and the showmanship. But when now you got guys like. Like I said, like Ralph, yeah, um, Ralph, Ralph Nader. Nader, like you know those BYOS cats, man. Shout out to those dudes, my homies, and those guys, man. I remember first seeing them. So I was sitting in bed, and I was just like, and they played the Michael Jackson thing in Germany on their on their pads, yeah. and I was like, what is this? It was such quality, and it was so much showmanship, and I think that that started to seep in a lot into to what we're doing. I think you're starting to see a lot more respect with like the way Harry does with with um with that Colt with Cold Steel, and and what's what's happening with that, and um, I, and so I, I think that I think that it's it's coming it's coming a long way. I, I actually have I have a guy coming up to teach this season who's I can't teach that stuff very well because I didn't I didn't live it. But I have a friend who's coming up who did live it who's going to come up and do some band camp with me with my kids. And like we're going to just do all new cadences. We're going to start with the cadences and we're going to start with here's how you approach this. And I if that if that blends over into their playing and I don't care. Like I want them to know, you know, I want them to have fun, man. I want them to realize that music is fun. Like right now, I'm teaching a, a, a one of my students is, you know, she, she really really solid solid kid, and I can tell the potential is all there. But for some reason, like it just hadn't really, you know. So I'm like, let's play. What kind of music do you listen to? Oh, you listen to this artist, this pop artist who I've never listened to? Well, what's your favorite song? Oh, cool. Well, listen. To, oh, perfect. Look at this guitar riff and its vocals. Guess what? This is your new marimba solo this year. You know, like, let's let's have fun. Let's play music you like on this instrument. And we can, and I'll teach you for, on, around the back end. Like, good, you're playing these arpeggio. Okay, cool. How are we going to do this, this, this stroke? How are we doing this stroke? Like, do you hear the quality of the bass note there? Like, we really have to make sure, you know, so we're, we're teaching it on the back end. So, um it's just it's just pretty cool that uh, I think that we see that blend and listen. There's drum corps that are doing it, like Santa Clara Vanguard, dude. Who can't watch Babylon and be like, you know what I mean? Like the excellence, the quality, the yep. music is so accessible. There's a, there's a story being told, um, but it's still 
appeals to, you know, Bluecoats 2018, 2019, 2020. I mean, from 2016 onward, it's been a different game. Like, Bluecoats changed the game, and not just because of that. That's what I'm saying. That that 20, was it 27? Yeah, I mean, they try to, you know, it's it's just they changed the game. Like, And it just, they just came out, and everyone's like, oh, we can play songs again. We can play music again. You know, and yeah, we can blend it and mash it up and do what DJs have been doing for decades, since 1970s. And we can do that, and we can do it as high art as well. You know, we can put in our moments, but we don't have to have a show of moments with no storyline. I don't want to say no storyline. Just a constant need to transition, honestly. It's just right. mostly that and, and just not – you know, I just find it odd. It's like – I like I've been – you know, I, I've been listening to all the, uh, the shows coming out for indoor, and it's like, can I get a back? beat please like uh yeah like, right seriously it's like bro like what is music you know like well, I'm, not, I'm not gonna lie to you man and i want to ruin my own promotion i'm here i'm here for you if you need some indoor stuff done but um <laughs> it's just never been my world because i didn't i didn't come up and i mean and i oh and i i i was strike percussion i was um um the guys who who, who started strike percussion were my high school guys and they took that ensemble and they form that into strike when it kind of left the high school thing and i've arranged for strike i've taught strike for many years Yeah, you so, probably yeah. know rudy yeah do i know rudy so he went to the same <laughs> high school that i did and we marched rudy. the same dca core shout out to one of the funniest most talented <laughs> cats on the planet rudy rudy man. flores rudy flores shout out to you man yeah he's from norwalk connecticut that's where i'm from as well super yeah, throwback man. but super, uh super cool man so um i just think like you no know, no one really throws on John Cage and jams out. No one really throws on, you know, academic marimba literature and and jams. And like, listen, like you know, I, I'm I I like Drake. You know, I like I like popular music. And I think people look at pop music and they think like that's for dumb people. And I actually think it's it's not that at all. And and something you said struck a note with me was in the marching arts we make the technical difficulty the primary thing and everything comes secondary. I think to the point about teaching your student a pop tune and then breaking down how to play it with good quality is the individuals making popular music are doing it at an extremely high level. But the thing that they care about is not that you know that it's that you feel the music, right? It's not like, Oh yeah, listen to the quality of the hi hat and exactly like that perfect tuning on the snare drum, and those are just elements that create this a song. It's a song, right? We are hung up in all those other little things that ultimately don't add up to an experience of listening. They add up to an experience of analyzing, and I think that is a misstep um, because it just it's not welcoming. That's my and I've I've talked about this plenty is. We uh, and you said it before is like we insulate ourselves from the possibility of anyone real coming and enjoying what we do. And that's why I think the HBCU thing is huge. Is like the way they move and dance and the songs that they play and the authentic emotion and performance behind it is like anyone gets that. And that's a way when you watch sports that anyone could get. Do I understand every single rule of basketball? No, but when I watch them play, I see that they're inspired, right? And I don't need to understand necessarily the perfect technique that they use to shoot free throws or whatever. I'm just seeing them be nails or I'm seeing them yeah, have a fluidity I, to it, right? I'll, I'll even take another example that's probably closer to what we do and it's movies. 
Yeah. You know, like you can see a movie and be like, wow, I really enjoyed that movie. I don't know why you loved it and why you enjoyed it. Whereas, you know, like there, you could, it could be a simple movie with, with no pretense and just something that's just well paced and it, it, three hours flew by. Um, from, you know, from what I understand, the Batman is like that. You know what I mean? Where it, you can enjoy it if you're a cinemaphile and you're writing under, you understand. Oh, I'll tell, I'll, I'll, all right. Avatar The Last Airbender. Okay. The cartoon, not the stupid movie. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like, what a master class in writing. What a master class in character development. All wrapped up in a kid show. Yeah. That my daughter loves, that my, my eight-year-old daughter loves, my 17-year-old daughter loves, and that I love and we can rewatch all the time. That's awesome. You know what I mean? Like, And, and it's, because it, it's because the character development, every, all the elements of making great story and a great was, – was there – but it was packaged in a way that could be so accessible. Another one is Arcane, which is out right now. And I'm yeah. going to give a shout out to that movie, that show all day long. I mean, it's a cartoon with amazing animation, beautiful character development, great stories. You know, people can have character traits. People can have different sexual preferences and genders. And it's not, it's just, it's not, it doesn't define the character. It's just happens to be who they are. You know what I mean? And it's, people can have motivations. Everything has reasons. All the, climaxes and resolutions are earned. You're not like, hey, we need a brass moment. All right, well, uh, let's get them from over here to over here in 36 counts. Give it to the snare line over here. And then have a huge brass moment. Uh, it's like this brass moment was earned. Like we waited for this. This built up like, ah, oh, man. I could think of all the shows where I was like, where I get chills. Knowing what's coming, I get chills. Blue Devil's 96, man. They're backfield before the last hit. And it's just like, and it's just like, and I'm just like, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. You know what I mean? And it comes. And you could think, anybody could think of those types of shows where you're like, here it comes. You know, and you're just super excited. Dude, right before the I, 2002 Cavalier, or in uh, 2000 Cavaliers, Niagara Falls. Oh, that's you so know good. I mean? like, there's no, you just know it's coming, but it was built up to and earned so well. We've been so watching we, a lot of early uh, at Mason. We've been watching a lot of 2000, 2001, 02, 03, 04 Cavaliers drum lines with Brett Kuhn. Where they had like mounted hi hats and they had like all this different. Honestly, those books are so sick. Like, it was, want... and that was the most unique technique I've ever seen any drumline uh, yeah, use. Yeah, I would not advocate ever. a playing style. It's at like all. it's like straight up fingers all day long. It's like low wrist or finger. I mean, I I actually got cut from Cavaliers in two thousand and one, so um, I got to go and watch them a little while. I still was just like, what are they? So it's like so controlled. Yeah. The, my understanding, I, I did a podcast with someone and we talked about this. The idea with that technique is it, you remove as many variables as possible. So you eliminate error. So like the way they like, don't move their arms and it's like, just like wrist and finger. And it's like really in the box. But it was so cool for them though. They nailed like, it. I watched them and with the weird marching style and the cool thing, it was just such a vibe, man. It like, was. Cavaliers had a thing. And they all looked like they were seven feet tall because their jackets started like here. Yeah. You know their what I mean? Shoulders was... are really big too back then. My first live top five, top three drum corps show was 1996 Blue Devils at a standstill. And then the first, I remember the first core I, I, I watched like that I saw because I was stoked to see them. I remember Cavaliers walked by me. And I was just like, they felt like giants. I was also 14, 15 years old, but still. And then now, I, that's, that's the reason why. I, and I guess, and that's nostalgia. You know, that's the reason why I miss uniforms, man. Because there was such an identity, such a, oh my God, here they, it was like gang. We, we, we live for tribes. <laughs> like, we live for tribes. You know what I mean? And like, you knew Blue Devils played jazz. And, you know, these guys are going to play this. And that guys are going to play that. And I don't care about 
musical does, identity. That really gets to the heart of my point about being a visual activity is that identity thing. And we, we change every year. And I, you know, I wore the Cavaliers uniform for two years, like the real one. And it was badass. Something like, about it, man. Something about the superhero aspect of putting on yeah. a uniform. Something about the communal aspect. Something about everyone that wore it before you. Here. Exactly. Now you're like, well, oh, you guys wore the pink shirts. Okay, cool. That yeah. was your year. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, yeah. it's just different. It's not worse. It's just different. And if you lived through the uniform years and you were really in it and you've wore the uniform or you've you have a moment like when I was a 15 year old, I remember, dude, I remember watching, <laughs> watching, thinking 90, 96. Um, Sean Vega, Camden, like all these cats in the quad line over there, just like Crazy. when they would take off their shakos and the hair and the Metallica look and the goatees, and they would just be playing. And I remember, you know, just them warming up and just playing Caribe, the lick from 95, and just being like, and they would, you know what I mean? Just when they take it off, it was like taking off your superhero. It's like Batman taking off his, it's just different now. I see everyone's facial expression like, oh, hey, look, you got some grays. Okay, great, cool. <laughs> they, like too, much reality, too much reality for me on a, on a, on a Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know? I, I agree. Honestly, like, I honest, I wouldn't hate seeing uniforms come back. I, I would not. Uh, right, I mean, it's funny because I'm also like, I also totally get it. I totally think that wool uniforms are not meant to do what we do in the modern activity. Not wool, you know, no. Parades, you know. But I, I think that, um, like, we just ordered new. I think we're ordering new uniforms for my high school, and we went last year. We didn't do like a uniform uniform. And in Georgia, everyone uses uniforms still. It's it's very. That's what you do. Like when we we didn't go out because we had the multi school thing. Yeah. So we ordered like a different top, and we wore the same bottoms, whatever. And people were just like, "Why don't you have a uniform? Like, what's going on? How come you guys don't have a uniform? Like, it was really. Whereas in Florida, we're way past the uniform thing. Like everyone. Yeah. And color guard outfits now, um, but I, now we order uniforms. But we order t- the the way they're making them now has like variables. So like Blue Devils still kind of wear sort of like the Shaco uniform. Some groups are still wearing sort of part uniform, but there's variables, different cuts, different shirts. And I think that there's magic. We used to always change it up every year. We had costumes and uniforms that we yeah. were way ahead. Blue Devils always change it up, different sashes, different elements, and but. You know, listen, I'm I'm an old guy now, man. I got hey, we're. I think if you're if you're, I don't know. I I feel I feel old sometimes. I I I aged out in 2012, drum corps. So it hasn't been too long, but it also feels like between 2012 and 2022 has been a lot has changed. And you know, I think one every year you teach drum corps is like 10 years of experience and activity. Like I just feel like you see it for what it is more, you get closer to the heart of what's going on. You start to peel the layers back and things become obvious. And like, Hey, I would be thrilled to see the cadets come out and wear a somewhat updated version of their actual uniform. And I think it would actually did it this year um, for 2021. And I think people appreciated it and it doesn't alienate the alumni. Like to your point, that communal aspect is like when I was, wearing that Cavaliers uniform, there was like all these guys who had come before me that are like legends that had worn that. And it's like, it's some, there's some, I mean, it's like, as if you're in the military, it's like, as if you're on a baseball Definitely. team, like there's a psychological thing that like, like uniformity, like to your point, like why do we care about uniformity, but we're not actually, you know what I mean? Like that just doesn't seem like as big of a deal. I, it's very odd because it's it's interesting that you brought that up early in the call too, just about like uniformity. But the group that wins DCI every year doesn't give a shit about that. So why does anyone? You know. Yeah, yeah, you, you kind of nailed it. 
I don't think but, Sandy and Paul are super worried about stick heights, and they're doing just fine. Um, no, and you know what's funny too. You know what's funny too. What Paul told me, we were we were me and uh, Sandy. Those here's the thing. I'm always realizing too that the way that some of we. <laughs> You know, like a lot of these scandals you see in some of these drum cores and these 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 uh, toxic techs that are out there that are are doing things, they're never at the top level. You ever notice that they're never in like Santa Clara. They're not in right. Blue Devils. They're you know you know it's because the people that are winning teach and lead with empathy. Like they lead with love. They they you know Sandy and Paul are some of the nicest. They're they're they're, they're such good friends and good people and. They just love their kids and the activity. And yeah, you know, Sandy's the one who I was like, why are you even writing for me? And why are you writing four mallet chords anymore in drum chords? Like in marching arts period, it's that why the, the harmonics are so close together. Like there's no need. It's actually kind of clutters it up. And Sandy looks at me, God bless her. She goes, because it's drum corps and the kids need to have something to do all summer. Yep. And I'm like, I have no argument for that. <laughs> you know, like what a and, and you know, and it looks more impressive than three malachords look dumb. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. They do look dumb. I can't even argue with it. Like I don't even like playing them. You know, what are you doing with that fourth mallet? And um, but musically, like you don't need to get away with it. So to co- as a contrary opinion to my point, you know, this is the activity. And if this is and I don't mind, listen, all of the th- concerns that I said earlier, I don't really apply them to the drum corps, the world, the drum corps and the world and the independent groups, because to me, that's a specific sport. I am more concerned about those who are responsible for the primary education of kids. Right. Like if I, if I, if I want to go march Broken City and they're like, listen, we're playing backwards with our toes. And I'm like, all right, whatever. I'm here. This is gonna be fun. Let's just do some backwards with our toes stuff. It's like, all right, we're going to play, you know, with, with, with the mallets, like they're going to play traditional, we're going to play traditional mallet grip. And I'll be like, all right, Great. Broken City. But I'm going to go back home and get taught, and I know that there's a right way to do it, and this is the way you do it for this sport and this idiom. Right. You know? And I think that when Sandy said to me, dude, it's, it's a drum corps, man. These kids got to do something all summer, you know? So it can't be easy. Like, yeah, I could write a ton of easier stuff, and they could be like, whatever. But, and I'm like, you are so wise, my friend. And um, and this was over drinks. This wasn't like in like a interview setting. This was just, we were just hanging out. But I thought it was so wise because I was sitting here on my high horse, being like, "Why are we writing four mallet chords?" And she's like, "Yeah, I hear you, but also it's drum corps." Right. Um. I, listen, I love the activity, man. I'm not trying to poo poo it or or be down on it. I you know there was some. I feel like there were some the moments in there that. But I feel like you're going to have that in the evolution. You're going to tilt hard one way. You're going to tilt hard the other way. I, I was kind of hoping that this pandemic would. And I don't know. We'll see. But I was, I'm hoping that this pandemic kind of balances the scales of the haves and have-nots where we don't have to have, you know, a Super Bowl halftime show and then you win. And if you don't have the Super Bowl halftime show, you don't Dude, win. Dude, I've seen groups that have completely kept going in the exact same direction they're going in, not in a positive way. And I feel like, at least for the things I have control over, Mason, we have zero props. On the fl- we have zero like props on the f- our whole floor is empty. We have one prop, one very small prop, and uh, our uniforms are you know it's FJM, but they're screen printed, oversized boxy t shirts and joggers. Um, so it's very much trying to meet the students where they're at. I just don't think there's a place for TVs and cameras and all this tech and drum corps, you know, seeing Boston yeah. come out, having spent 50, 100K on TVs, and it's just like, I think we're misappropriated. That happened? 
Yeah, for for a non-competitive year, they did Zoom. Zoom was their show, and they had I three or four huge TVs, and it was like that could have been staff money. Like that could have been could have been back in the kids years. back yeah back in the kids' pockets, man. During a yeah. very hard year for everybody. Yeah, some people but, are not at all taking a good hard look at what they're doing. They're kind of just oh, we're going to be back to where we were in 2019, and it's like I kind of don't want to do that. I kind of want to see what we can. Can we balance this thing out? Because honestly, drum corps is on his last legs. If we don't figure this out, we're going to have, you know, five groups and everyone else is going to fold or be a VFW. I don't even know. Like, we just can't keep this up. You know, you know, what was cool. I taught, I, I arranged and taught for CV this past Atlanta CV this past year. We won drums Congrats. for, yep. so that was pretty cool. That's dope. Um, and it was a lot of fun, man. And it was just fun to play a show. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the three show format anymore. Like I've kind of, I've kind of at least evolved past that. But it was still fun to play a show that was like, or to be in a core that was like, what is, you know, this is part of it. Is like the DCA thing was pretty cool. You know, it was pretty cool. It was funny because I was calling some people like these kids, and I'm like, oh wait, you're like 29, like you're like 32. It's like it was kind of weird. Like I had some, I had some, I had some of the best having some. There was a certain, there was some kids there still just there to get, you know, it was like this big drastic range of like kids who were there to like get experience and people who've been there for like seven years and they're like 30 and have real jobs and make more money than me. And it's like, hmm, that's interesting. You know, that's pretty cool. It's awesome. And yeah. I'm, I'm so they're almost like techs. They, no, it, it can be weird. You know, I'm like, I could have marched. That's crazy yeah. to me. Yes. You can march your own book. Um, I write for hurricanes and I'm the program coordinator there and, uh, it's, I, when I marched there, I marched there between the ages of 14 and 19. So when I was there, you know, literally age 14 in the showers and there were 65 year old men, you know, and it was a learning experience and honestly for the better, but you know, not everything was totally kosher and, um, you know, I'll keep that for off the air, but it's a interesting environment. And in some ways it can be a positive one. In some ways it can be a little, little funky, but DCA just doesn't have that visibility. So it's like we struggle again, we're struggling to fill basically any drum corps after like, I don't know, eighth or ninth place world-class DCI. I mean, and it's, it, we, we were charging five, my dues were seven fifty, and I know there was some, yeah. there's some inflation, but still would be under 1300 bucks now, you know, we're talking about five grand now. Five grand is a lot of money, man. For a, a college kid, it's a lot of money. And if you're, you know, so it, the the other problem is, and this speaks to, you know, it's it's be, it's become the it's become the activity of the privileged. Yes. And like, does that mean that like, and it, you know, unfortunately, that's going to disproportionately affect minorities. And so you have drum corps full of you know privileged kids, you know who, and so you don't. So there's a lot of Modernous. people who would. Who would yeah, and and, and and I'm not even in Atlanta. There's a Atlanta youth drum drum ensemble, which I think is so amazing and it's so great, and I love it. And I think we need so much more of that. I know there's a lot of them in the, like in the South, people doing like really cool things, and um, it's. But at the end of the day, man, we just need to have as many opportunities. And I'm not saying that. And here's where I differ from a lot of my contemporaries. I don't think that drum corps is what it is. It is what it is. Like to sit here and say, I, I will tell you that is exclusionary. It is a, a, an activity of the privileged, but I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing. But we need to have other activities for those who don't have those resources, right? And so you have a lot of people who are stepping up, and I hope more people step up to create cool activities to give people the same 
experience because you know listen if a kid doesn't know about drum court and they don't do it but they have another cool experience that gives them the same qualities and that's beautiful i don't think we need to sit here and say drum court needs to be for everybody right um especially but, mu- that but music does but music yes. does right right i mean and, and it's it's like soccer right you have messi and you have ronaldo and you have those big the big teams that are they're super rich super famous but also you can play soccer anywhere. It's the most global sport there is. And like sports are a great example of like, yeah, they're not in America though. America is a white no. collar sport. No, Everywhere else totally. is a blue collar sport. That's why we suck. Yeah. Totally. Because we That's- have to, we have to pay for lights. You don't have to pay for li- to, pl- to yeah. play in Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. Basketball is our blue collar sport. Yeah. And I, basketball is a great example. Like, yes, there are the Sixers, but People just can play basketball, and there are outlets to play basketball. Listen, man, I, it's Miami Heat right now. Just throwing that out there. Ain't oh, the here we go. Ain't the this, Sixers, son. This is how we end the go podcast. Look, no, go look. Go look. Go. Oh, we're not even. Well, we just got started. Now, go. <laughs> go ahead and look at the NBA East standings right now, and you tell me who who it's about right now. Oh man, Pete, you might have to pull up the NBA. We East just, right we just, now. we just beat, we just beat the, we just beat the Brooklyn Nets too. Where you at, Kyrie? You better get off the injured reserve, son. If you want to talk shit on the Nets, I'll go ahead. I welcome. I'm it. Ben, just saying. Ben Simmons hasn't touched the ball. I mean, that man is that man is hurt three ways from Sunday. I'm I'm a Heat lifer. I don't I don't even care if they if they're the worst. I'm sitting here crying like, yo, he's getting the chip this year. Like, dude, they're in they're in 13th. It's like you wait. You know what? I'm fine with it. You got the Heat. I live in Philly. The you know the stadium is down the street from me, so I gotta I gotta support. I went to a Hawks game since I was here. It was fun because we had cool tickets. But ah, Trey Young, man, Trey Young. He needs to play somewhere else. I'm not a, a, I'm not a big fan. He's good. He's not though. bad though. He's very good. No, he's he just they made us look dumb in the in the playoffs last year, and we just fell apart. And they 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 got at us, and it was just uh, it was just disappointing. And he's just got a, a face of someone you just yeah want to punch. He got a very punchable face. face. He got a very punchable face. You're right about that. He does. And and it's and like listen, I'm I love this Heat team because. It's such a different team than the one that won two championships in the early t- 2010s. You know what I mean? Like it's such a we have the LeBrons and the Bosch and the Wade, which I love that too. Like Wade yeah. Wade County Wade County all day for me. I was there in 05 and 03 and 05, right. and 05 and 06. I'm looking know. at our rankings and I'm I'm feeling okay about where it's at. We got the Heat in number one, and we got Sixers in number two. So by like what ten games? Three. All right, fine. <laughs> then we got the Bulls, the Bucks, Celtics, Cavaliers, Raptors, Nets, Hornets, Hawks, and Tampa. And head to head, I think that Heat is up on all of them. That's 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 what I like to see because when it if it comes down time to it, you know those head to heads are going to matter. Hey, but you know, know what? Since Harden, we're on a four game winning streak. Y'all have a one game losing streak. Not a big deal. We just lost one in the past like five games. That's acceptable. So we just we just beat the Nets tonight. So. But, Damn, but, but yeah, you're man, in Georgia, you're in Georgia now, so you got to go. I don't care. Nope. My, I, had to, I did. It was sports day, and my, my daughter, you know, I got her a Hawks shirt, and she has a Hawks jersey, and it's fine, whatever. But, you know, we're heat here, man. You know, I respect so. it. Yeah, I would, n- I would never wear another, another city's gear in Philly. Maybe New York would be fine. Like, I think a Yankees fitted in Philly, you'd be fine. But in, at an Eagles game or a, a Sixers game or a Flyers game, that's a – that's a no-no. I was kind of excited about coming up here. I was like, all right, I can finally give up the Dolphins. 
but <laughs> I can't. I don't know why I care about that stupid team. Like wow. they just keep breaking my heart, and the ownership is terrible. And it's like that's the thing about the Heat. Like since the ownership is good, I know even if they have bad down seasons, like I trust that there's a plan for the long term to build something back up. But with the Dolphins, it's just a bunch of idiots trying to make splashes and get some short-term money. Look, we got Indominus Sue. Look, we got Tua. It's like, can you just take five years and build an offensive line? Yeah, like, they none of these good in what decades, dude? None of these quarterbacks. <clears throat> We've had two winning seasons over the, with the last coach with Brian Flores. We just fired him. So none of these quarterbacks that you see that are amazing would be amazing if they didn't have some time to develop without getting hurt and hit all day. I mean, look at look at uh look at Tannehill, dude. Tannehill goes to the Titans and makes it to the e- AFC playoffs. In his first year, not at the right. not at the Miami Dolphins, whereas he was five years at the Miami Dolphins and couldn't get a pass off. That's and they were like, he sucks. It's like you know he doesn't suck. We don't protect him. They're anyway. all good. They're literally all pretty damn good. Let's be real. Come on. Right. Exactly. All so. pretty good. But uh, hey, Drew, this has been a blast. We're talking about basketball at this point. It's you know it's getting late, so I want to wrap. But um, we should definitely catch up again. And it, dude, it was it was fun to just kind of connect because you know I've been. I, I we we kind of have interacted throughout time, but it's it's always great to just carve out you know th- this time to just talk shit and just just rap. So, dude, I just want to thank you for jumping on here um, and doing the late hour with us on the show today. So, thank you, bro. Yeah, man, it's a pleasure to be here. You know, I'm, I'm actually starting a podcast myself, so it was like like I'm looking at your technology, what you're using, and I'm trying to, to start figuring out something I wanted to do for a while. So, um, I'm pretty excited about it. And and like you had like, you. You have Mark Parrott on here, and when Mark, yeah. Mark's my dude, and when he, um, when he posted, I was like, "Oh, what's up with this?" You know, Mark actually took time out of his. I turned my phone off for six days straight and only turned it on for an hour to return the only top three phone calls of the week and, <laughs> and pay my bills. If Mark was on, took an hour or whatever out to do a podcast, I'm like, "This is some serious business." <laughs> well, you dude, know? I appreciate Mark, that. Mark has, a three, Mark has a two month turnaround on phone calls, and I hope you put this part in the podcast. Mark Parrot has a two week, two month turnaround on phone calls, yeah, and you got to get on. You got to get on the list and know somebody to know somebody. And I still love him, and that's when you know you got power. You got real power, and I love that guy, man. He's so doing. I, he's doing well. Glad. He's doing well. Where can uh, God bless him. Where can people uh, find you? Social media and website. Um. It's not if you look up. It's not a xylophone on anything. It's my website. It's my Instagram. It's my Facebook. It's my Twitter. It's not a xylo because it's not a xylophone. wasn't you know one letter too long. But it's it's not a xylo on Twitter. It's um it's not a xylophone on Instagram. Instagram is the best way to get in touch. Um, I will be on the road for a little bit. I am doing the Southeastern Regional Day of Percussion in Greensboro um, on April 9th, That Saturday. So Sarah Thar is going to be at that one. Escape Ten is going to be at that one. It's going to be really dope. I'm doing a clinic on improvisation and storytelling. So I actually talk about, I demystify it for the classical musician who thinks they can never do it. Um, We're going to have a good time with that. And then um, I'm playing with uh, um, my orchestra for the first time. I got some strings. I got some stuff down in Florida in April. I'll be uh, April 3rd, be in Florida, throughout Florida. And then I'll be in Atlanta April 10th. And then um, doing another festival in Florida May 1st. And uh, so it's a pretty busy April to May. And then... I shut it down for some some much needed family time, and then we're back in band camp season, baby. Oh no, we're in camp season, camp camp season, um, and then we're in then we're in band camp season. Busy, so, very busy. Yeah. Be fun. Well, Be fun. Drew, thank you again, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening, and I will catch you next time. Peace out. Good night, everybody.